The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we're picking out some of the best work available on The Athletic right now and putting the author under the spotlight. so important that we're able to listen and not judge and that's how I suppose we help people who might be suffering because sometimes they just want to be listened to sometimes. Until we get a proper coach, a top class elite coach from another big football team that wins trophies, strikes fear into players. It was Yes, as it's the international break, we've been revisiting an article all about the FA's efforts to create the next generation of elite managers. The Athletics' Jay Harris has been down to St George's Park to find out more and joins us shortly. Yeah, still find it remarkable that an English manager has never actually won the Premier League. And after all the recent progress we've seen in terms of the young English playing talent, I'm excited to hear more about this. Let's welcome Jay Harris, who is the Brentford reporter for The Athletic. But Jay, you've been doing a little bit of moonlighting on a very, very interesting subject. For those who haven't read it, tell us more. Yeah, so basically I was invited to go down and visit St. George's Park a couple of weeks ago and get a little bit of an insight into a few players who were former England internationals who are now trying to become coaches. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to talk about that transition from from playing at the, the top end of the game to hopefully becoming a, an elite manager. Jay, it's interesting as well because um, I suppose St. George's Park has become such a a proud symbol of English football now, not just from a kind of talent on the pitch point of view, but obviously now through coaching as well. So, I mean, before we get into who you spoke to and and the strategy, tell us about what it, what it was like there for anyone, you know, because a lot of people will never get to go to St. George's Park unless they're media or unless they're a player or they happen to be doing a course or something. So what is it like there? Yeah, you know, it was a really fascinating experience. It was my my first time there. And I think what you kind of touched upon there is that the FA are very conscious of making sure that it's not just perceived as a place where footballers come to become better players, that it's also an institution where, you know, the coaching staff should be able to kick on and, and staff at all different levels should be able to kick on. But um, strangely enough, it's in Burton-upon-Trent, which is in the, in the middle of nowhere. And um, yeah, you have to get a taxi from the train station down to St. George's Park and it's a very kind of like idyllic, you know, rolling hills, grassy scenes, loads of football pitches everywhere. But yeah, just a really, really beautiful facility, very modern. I think it's only 10 years old. So that's what the FA wants it to be, kind of this this epicentre of English football, not just for the players, but for the coaching staff and, and everything else. I'd really like to go there. I'm a bit upset that you didn't invite me, to be honest. <laughs> I would have really, I'd really like to go down there. I'm quite near that there now, so I really should try and get myself down. Over the years, I guess, Italy and Germany, they've historically led the way when it comes to elite coaching development in in Europe. With that in mind, is this what the FA are trying to do or what they've been doing now for a number of years, trying trying to get kind of the same kind of thing going that they've had in Germany and Italy? Because they've had a lot of success with managers, haven't they? 
Yeah, and I started the article mentioning Italy and Germany just to kind of contextualize some of the differences that's going on. So Italy have this, you know, really well-known um, coaching school, which is called Covacciano. So it's where the Italian football headquarters is based. And if you just look at a list of some of the, the coaches who have graduated from that course over the years, you know, you've got Antonio Conte, Roberto Mancini, Massimiliano Allegri, you know, top pedigree coaches. And then, you know, Germany, you've got the exact same. They've got a course called... Essentially, it translates to the football teacher course. I'm not going to um, butcher the German pronunciation. Fußballlehrer, Fußballlehrer. Oh, there you go. At the Hems yeah. Westweiler Academy. And yeah, and so this German course, um, yeah, it's really intense. Basically, coaches will be already working in a role within a club and that kind of forms part of their studies. But it's an 11-month course uh, and they only take 16 coaches a year. So it's really intense. And again, look at some of the people that have come out of that course, you know, you've got Ralph Ranić, uh, Jurgen Klopp, Thomas Tuchel, again, really top quality managers. And if you look at, you know, who's kind of dominated in the Premier League and Europe over the last few years, the chances are those clubs have either an Italian or German coach, obviously Spain included in there as well. So yeah, so I guess from the FA's perspective, they're looking at how they can create this next batch of elite coaches. You know, maybe we're seeing it a little bit already with the likes of Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard and Wayne Rooney coming through. But I guess they want to have, you know, or, or almost perceive St. George's Park to be like a factory. They want to be able to just mass produce, you know, these managers who are hopefully going to, you know, lead England to international success, but also to come into the Premier League and come into the Championship and do really good jobs at that level as well. Jay, I think what was interesting, and this is something that, definitely took off in the comments underneath your piece and got a little bit heated actually was um the approach here which is very focused on former players yeah definitely former england internationals as well and there was a big debate in the comments uh, and lots of people referencing the german strategy and the german training which hadn't necessarily picked up the best players in the world, you know, former players, but not all of them played at a very high level, but uh, but people who had good understanding of the game and they plucked them from, you know, sometimes obscurity, gave them brilliant training and, you know, gave them the tools to become brilliant coaches. And there was a big debate in the comments about why there is such a big focus here on former England internationals. So did you get to understand that from your visit? Yeah, I definitely did. And, you know, maybe it was my bad that I, I probably should have addressed that a little bit better in the in the article. I hold my hands up. But I think what I would like to point out to, to the listeners is that nobody at the FA is saying that it's a prerequisite that in order to become a top coach that you have to have been, you know, an elite footballer. Nobody's saying that whatsoever. They've got schemes and courses in place that will help prospective coaches to get into that career, regardless of what level they played the game at or if they've never played the game at all. Um, but I think what they also recognise is that football at the top level is an extremely intense environment. There's so much pressure on the line. And if you've already experienced that because you've been in a dressing room of a Liverpool, a Manchester United, a Chelsea and Arsenal, whoever it is, the chances are, if you're given the right tools and given the right education, you'll be able to make the transition to become a good, or if not an amazing coach, easier than someone who's never had experience of that environment before. And, you know, I fully appreciate why people made some of those comments. You only have to look at the job Eddie Howe and Graham Potter have done and they've come from relative, uh, not football obscurity, but they've taken a path less well-travelled, shall we say. But then you also look at some of the, the most successful coaches in the last five years. Roberto Mancini, Euro 2020 with Italy, former Italy international player. Didier Deschamps with the World Cup with France. France World Cup winning midfielder and captain. 
Zinedine Zidane at Real Madrid, Antonio Conte, Pep Guardiola, all of these guys were senior internationals for all those different countries. So I think the FA is kind of thinking, oh, okay, who's going to be our version of those guys and how can we make that easier for them? Right, there's no, there's no, there's no blueprint, right? Some lots of former players don't want to be coaches, and are very clear on that as soon as they retire. And you know, lots do or, or want to explore that or, or want to do it to the best of their ability. And I suppose the success of Gareth Southgate has kind of proved that. Well, we're one for one in some ways on that <laughs> recently, so they're going to kind of go for it, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. And you know, we've already mentioned you know what Gerard and Lampard and, and Rooney, who's even at an earlier stage in his career, have done so far. And it's like, okay. Those guys are showing really promising signs. We need to make sure that these just aren't three or four randomers and we never we never kind of get that kind of pool of talent ever again. We need to look at the generation who maybe came two, three, four years after them and how we mm. can kind of maximise their experience and make sure that we just have a consistent and constant stream of, uh, of hopefully really exciting and talented young coaches coming through. Do you get the vibe that I know Gareth Southgate managed Middlesbrough before he became involved in the FA, but I look at Southgate and think, he was developed in-house by the yeah. FA to become yeah. the England manager. Do you think there's an element of that as well, that they're trying to develop people from within that will go on and be an England manager? Because Southgate had done nothing of note before he, not with Middlesbrough really, before he got the England job. He was under-21s manager. So by developing people in-house and getting them involved in the FA and the, the England setup, do you think they're maybe trying to get Gareth Southgate's successor out of that? Because I think Southgate will be there for a long time. I think it's, it's, it's common sense when you think about it in the sense that just get a group of people all together and get them to kind of throw ideas around. And if the FA can kind of oversee that setup, as you're alluding to, that makes the most sense. Because obviously, Carton Cole works at West Ham. Stuart Downing's just retired. He doesn't have anything to do at the moment. Rather than kind of letting those guys go off and do their things in those own environments, let them come into the FA's kind of like mm. inner circle and let them all kind of discuss ideas. This isn't necessarily just a straight up course where they're given a textbook and they're, they're told to, to write this out, do this, do that. The whole point of them coming together is that they all kind of sit and have very open debates about what they think is the best technique or what's the best approach, which I think in and of itself is, is quite enlightening. Do you think there's also, I mean, obviously the, the, F, the FA and the Premier League, you know, they work together, but they are separate entities. But do you think there's also a little bit of pathway panic about the fact that no English manager has ever won the Premier League or the Champions League and not since 2008 has an English manager won a domestic trophy. Do you think there's a little bit of concern about that pipeline of talent? I think, you know, uh, in this country, we, we like to, you know, brag about the fact that we invented football, right? And we also love to brag about brag, the fact that... Brag is a, is, a, is a kind word. I would say arrogance. <laughs> I would say arrogance you know, is more like it. But. And, um, I would say you know, clinging on to something. <laughs> yeah, desperately. And we like, to, um, we like to obviously talk about the Premier League being a, not a bad export as well. So I think there's almost a little bit like, you know, we've got one of the greatest, if not the greatest league in world football. We invented this sport, yet we've not been able to produce an English manager who's been able to to take a team to that ultimate success of winning a league title. The last English manager to win the top flight title was, was Howard Wilkinson in 1991-92. So that's 30 years ago before I was born. So it's, it's about, yeah, addressing that. And like you said, I wouldn't necessarily say there's panic, but there's just kind of probably an understanding and a, and a desire to kind of change that and address that. And like we've already alluded to, you've got people like Eddie Howe, Graham Potter, Sean Dyche doing fantastic jobs. But 
it seems like they might not necessarily get the opportunities at the top six clubs. And maybe it's about finding those players who have been at that level before who can then make that transition easier. Yeah, so the players, well, I keep calling them players because to me, I feel like they're still playing because they're, 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 so like, they? they're very much like late 90s, early 2000s yeah. Barclays um, relics, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're yeah. like the peak this Barclays good. squad. This is like when you get so far into a football manager save and you think, that's unrealistic him, him going on to their manager now. That's how where I feel my life is at now. It's Slash not, not a nice just feeling old, at all. I think yeah, it's not a nice feeling say. at all, is it? I remember Carlton Cole being a youth player coming through at Chelsea and now we're talking about him on a, on a yeah. coaching course. It's absolutely horrible. So, Jay, they're doing the IP2C course. Yeah, so it's the, the international player to coach course and actually have the, the prospectus in front of me. So um, it's split into to four key sections uh, on the grass, in the mirror, in the club, into the future. Um, oh, it's so, catchy. Know, it's catchy. <laughs> it's very David Brent, isn't it? In the mirror. Very Brendan, Ro- oh, very Brendan Rogers. It is very Brendan Rogers, actually. It, on the grass, in the mirror, and what were the other two? Uh, in the club and into the future. Wow. So obviously, wow, wow, wow. To, again, to, to contextualise it, and uh, I guess to simplify it, on the grass is essentially about what do you want to do as a coach? What's your kind of identity? How are you going to go? And, you know, for Carton Cole, for example, who works in West Ham's academy, if you're presented with a group of 20 16-year-olds, how are you going to get your message across? How are you going to teach them? What do you want them to learn from this particular session? That's what On the Grass entails. In the Mirror is more about internally, what can you do to make that next step up? And Stuart Downing spoke really eloquently about this. He was talking about how when he was a, he was a player, he, he never used his voice. He'd just, you know, sit in a dressing room, you know, whether it was Rafa Benitez or Gareth Southgate was his manager because there was a, quite a funny overlap between them two at Middlesbrough. You know, he'd just sit in and take in information. He'd never be the one to, to give it out. And obviously you're speaking about stuff you know about, but when you're doing the stuff we did in the media train, it takes you out your comfort zone. Like you say, the first day we met up, speaking in front of 20 people in the room we've never met in our <laughs> lives. Mm. And I'm giving a speech about my life. Like, obviously it's uncomfortable speaking about yourself in front of people. Yeah. But it, it brings another dimension to yourself and you think, actually, no, I can do it. Whereas before, you just, like I said, you sit in meetings and just listen to other people tell you information. It's how you deliver as well to other people. And it, it, yeah, it is about speaking in front of a camera, but also it's about, you know, you've got to do team talks. Your most powerful team talk when you're 1 0 down, you're in the semi final, you're in the final. You're 2 0 up. What are those communication strategies like when you're trying to? Getting to certain people, whether you're managing up, you may be talking to a board, it may be in an interview, or how are you going to portray the best version of you? So we're trying to give them a whole host of different strategies, um, possibly under under one banner at times, that are going to help them, not just in this programme, but generally in life, because as I said, they're going back to school, pretty much. So I thought that was quite interesting. And then obviously that also involves you know leadership, teamwork. How do you manage upwards as well as manage downwards? How do you get the best out of these players? Um, in the club, again, it's about kind of creating an environment around you that's successful. You know, it's not just about the relationships you have with the players, it's the relationship you have with the staff as well. And Into the Future is a little bit more about talent identification and all those kind of things, networking, just how to, I guess, become quite like a well-rounded individual, really. So lots of different strands for them to pull on and they get a lot of different guest speakers come in and, and talk to them about how to how to do that. Gareth Southgate went and spoke to them, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, well, that was a surprise, let me say. So I, yeah, you know, obviously gone to St. George's Park. I was uh, very fortunate to have to have lunch with, um, you know, Emil Heskey, Stuart Downing, uh, Leighton Baines and Carton Cole. I kind of heard Gareth Southgate's name mentioned, but I thought, if I doubt he comes into St. George's Park every day. And then um, just as I was about to, you know, start doing my interview with the players, I hear, oh, Gareth's arrived. 
Oh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Two minutes later, he, he walks into the room, gives everyone a, like a little nod and a wave. I was like, all right, fair enough. Looks like I'm doing this interview with the, the England manager just sat in the corner. And he did um he did kind of engage a little bit. But then he also uh, came and introduced himself to me afterwards, which was pretty cool. We had a nice five-minute chat about it all. But I think for those individuals who are in the room, he is kind of like a, the role model for them to kind of look up to. A legend like himself. I'm not just saying that because you're in the room. But then I wanted to learn how he, he coped with the transition. And it was really important because when he said he wasn't sure about certain things, that made me like settled because I was like, Do you know what? I don't have to have all the answers for these boys right now. Um, yeah, and I, I, it's really interesting hearing from their experiences as well, the, the players that are on the course already especially someone like Carlton Cole, who had a, a really successful career in, in many respects, you know, played at a level that not a lot of people get the opportunity to, opportunity to play at. But it felt like in, in, in what he said to you, he found stepping up to coaching really daunting and he yeah. lacked a lot of confidence as well, mm. he said. And he felt like he was almost kind of making it up as he went yeah. along and didn't really know what he was doing. But doing this course has actually kind of made him understand coaching a little bit more. And that's perhaps the difference, right, between maybe the new generation and previous former players who've been thrust into coaching roles is they would be thrust into coaching roles and said, here you go, you used to play at this level, you should know how to do it. Yeah. And I suppose Carl, what Carlton Cole said kind of proves that it's not the case at all. And they still need, you know, the training, the support, the guidance, the learning to be able to actually understand what's going on. And he kind of showed that in what he said. He was like, I literally had no idea what I was doing. Exactly. And I, I found that um, really refreshing. Like you said, there's an assumption sometimes that, oh, you've been a, you've been a cracking player. You're going to make a, you're going to become a world-class coach. And that they're, you know, there's no educational process that takes place in between those two things. It's like they are basically the same thing. And yeah, I found what, um, yeah, what Carlton and what Stuart Downing said to be really refreshing in the sense that they were very open and honest about the fact that actually we're not necessarily that particularly comfortable in this environment. And we do need to do a lot of learning ourselves in order to, to be seriously considered for these roles. But as you alluded to, Carlton Cole was actually talking about how he'd be taking a session, you know, in West Ham's academy, trying to tell these 16 year olds or these 14 year olds about how he wants them to play. And he just didn't have any confidence in what he was saying. He didn't really know what his kind of ideals were, what he actually wanted from each session. He was kind of just rocking up and telling them, oh, you know, just do a little drill over here and then we'll split into some five aside games and then we'll go from there. And now, since he's been doing this course for two, two and a half years, he feels like he's just got a much clearer idea of what he wants from the whole process in the sense that he can go um, into the academy, run a training session and say, right, boys, this is what we're going to work on today. We're going to work on our first touch or we're going to work on our shape. And this is my ideal formation and this is my philosophy, whereas he didn't have that two and a half years ago. So I guess that's the main takeaway from the course, really, that it's really, um, it's been an educational process for these guys, which is the main thing. Before we break, who's the Jay Harris one to watch? Who's, who's the, the Jay the Harris one, one to watch? The Jay Harris one to watch, the one that impressed you most on the, on the course that you sat in? Um, well, Emil Heskey was kind of talking about how he probably won't become a coach. He's currently okay. the, um, the head of football development at Leicester City Women. Yeah. And he spoke about how that course has been really helpful for him to learn kind of how to delegate upwards because he kind of serves as the, the midway point 
between the, the playing staff and the kind of the, the board. So uh, we'll take him out of the equation. Stuart Downing's kind of at the beginning of the process. Um, Leighton Baines was a little bit quieter, but I think purely just for the honesty with which he spoke about, and again, Carton Cole referenced how he's, he's kind of changed his whole personality and matured a lot. I think it will be really interesting to see kind of how he progresses over the, over the next few years. So I'll, yeah. I'll go with Carton Cole. Played five-a-side with Emil Heske once in the five-a-side tournament. I was in goal and Heske was up front and we won the tournament. We had a, we had a, we had a, we had a, we had a good time. We had a good time. I found him quite motivational. When I was speaking to him, I was quite motivated by what, okay. what he was saying to me. Yeah, so I, I had him down as maybe someone who who might go on to be to be a good coach. But you've just completely shot that down well, by saying no, he's no, not no. Do I think it. it's more. I think also this course has kind of made a few of them realise that there's more to do in football other than just coaching. There are really fulfilling yeah. jobs, but it's just that yeah. when you're when you're a player for so long, you just immediately think. No, the next the next closest thing to playing is probably being a coach. Whereas I think this course has kind of told them actually there's, you know, a wide variety of different roles you can do, whether that's at board level, coaching level, backroom staff, loads of different things. So he didn't necessarily completely rule it out, but he said at this moment in time, he quite likes the role he's doing at Leicester and he'd kind of want to continue doing that. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Next, we're going to talk about Gareth Southgate's real legacy and what modern players actually need from modern coaches. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, I absolutely agree with, with Gerard there. I mean, you know, I think you, you do get protection. A lot more than you used to, that's for sure. And the game has changed, and we know that. But it is a contact sport. You're going to take hits. You're going to take tackles. You've got to ride them. And, you know, he's absolutely right. I'm sat here with how many operations I've... I've got screws in my back, a rod in my spine. You know, I've got no cartilage in my knee. No... Jay, your article came at a very interesting time, I think, for coaching in the Premier League especially. It feels like coaching is really under the spotlight at the moment. We've got two young managers, Premier League legends at big clubs... Uh, we've got a big debate around who's going to be the next Manchester United manager and who's their current head coach and what he is and isn't doing. Um, but I mean, first things first, you, you mentioned this kind of lack of philosophy in English football. And, I, and that's something that's kind of come up in the in the conversations about Ragnik as well. As we, we do look to European uh, managers and coaches who have a bit more of a defined way of playing football, you know, quite... Um, structured ideas and then clubs will look to them and say oh well we brought him in because we want xyz whereas it feels like English football is very vague in its identity and maybe something where it used to be which was quite like physical direct simple has actually blurred a little bit I mean what would you what would you what would your understanding be from this of, of what they're trying to create as this English style well, sometimes, you know, I think uh, at a continental level, England's style of play is still kind of considered to be, you know, lump it up to the big number nine, get it in the mixer, that kind of, that classic school of thinking. And again, I kind of alluded to that in my piece, just to say that, you know, when you think of Spain and the, the tiki-taka and the way that they play, that's a defined style. You look at the way Germany have played over the last 10, 15 years, it's very defined. Italy with the liberos, the catanachos, you know, that that's real football culture. And it just feels like maybe because... 
my first um, memories of watching England the international tournament so with Sven Goran Eriksson you know that 4-4-2 just put the 11 best players on the pitch no regards for formation style system that's always kind of lingered with me and we've obviously seen a complete uh, 180 with what Gareth Southgate's done over the last few years you know um, really sticking to the principles of playing it out from the back being calm under pressure and obviously it's taken a while to kind of develop but we only have to look at the I know we lost in the Euro 2020 final, but the success of getting to a major tournament final and a semi-final before that. And I think from the FA's perspective, what's key is that, you know, the moment Southgate leaves the leaves the role, we don't lose that with him. That's about making sure that there's an element of continuity. Not every manager is going to play in the same way. Not every manager is going to want to have that same style, but just trying to make sure that there's some level of consistency so that, you know, you've not got pre-Southgate era England where you've got Ericsson, Capello, Allardyce, you know, Hodgson, this kind of just mismatch of, uh, of managers with no kind of coherent style that maybe going forward, there's going to be something that's, yeah, a little bit more attractive, playing out from the back. And it's something that, that stays within the building and doesn't go when Southgate eventually leaves the job. Because they've waited years to just have something sustainable England. And like they've got that now, haven't they? So they'd, they'd be stupid to completely rip it up at any point and start again because what they've got now, yes, we haven't won anything, but it works. But also, I think the kind of biggest barometer of how much England have changed over the last kind of five, ten years is that watching them is really enjoyable, not just in international tournaments, but even during qualifying. Like I would never really watch England during a qualifier because I just thought it was so turgid. Mm. It just felt like a really laborious effort. Whereas you just look at the exciting young talent that's coming through. You know, Tyrick Mitchell's just got his first call up. There seems to be a lot of excitement and a lot of debate about every England squad that gets named these days. There's so much talent coming through. Flip it to 10 years ago, you you could probably tell who the, the 23 players were that were going to get called up. Whereas now it just feels like there's a lot more enthusiasm about the players. But also that stems down to the way that this kind of style that Gareth has imposed on the team over the last few years has just kind of brought everyone together and put smiles on faces. Yeah, and the best thing is the pl- the players want to be there as well. That's what Southgate's done. That's the, the strongest thing he's done, in my opinion. He's created a culture where players want to come and play for England. They enjoy training with England. They enjoy being with each other. And that's a massive factor as to why things have changed. Yeah, exactly. How many players have kind of spoken about um, the rivalries and the cliques that existed in the dressing room going back to like the 2006 World Cup? You had the Chelsea lads sitting with each other, you know, the Liverpool click in one corner, the Arsenal click in another. Whereas now, you know, just got this seems to be just this really loving environment where everyone's kind of coming together with a common goal. And like you said, that, that that's what we want long term to be able to put those club rivalries aside. And like you said, a lot of that's down to not just Gareth, but obviously the team of the FA behind him who've kind of really worked to to address that issue over the years. Yeah, it's really interesting as well that that we speak about that and we speak about that as such a plus. And one of the best things about last summer was getting an insight into that, whether it's through little Instagram videos, TikTok, you know, seeing interviews with the players. There was such a a great vibe around the team and, and a genuine love for each other, the coaches, and that bond between the fans came back. And that seems like a really modern way to approach things and such a, a great way to approach things. And then this past week, we've been having these really kind of <laughs> old fashioned, outdated conversations about like, which play is hard enough and have you got the balls to play in the Premier League? And it's been really interesting to hear those words from Steve, Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard, who, you know, were not 
in an England shirt that long ago and are looking after players who are part of this new generation. Um, but it's almost like that the youngest managers have some of the most outdated, like 1970s views and approaches to the game. I mean, what was it like speaking to this new cohort? And, you know, did you get any signs of what sort of managers they were going to be? And, and why do you think we're seeing some of this kind of like old school mentality kind of spring back into into the conversation? There was, um, I definitely did see a little bit of an insight into it when um, kind of like the, the topic of social media came up. And uh, Emil Heskey, I remember him t- kind of talking about it and, uh, and Carlton Cole as well, just to kind of say that they need to kind of accept and internalise that we are in a different different world to five years ago, let alone 10, 15, 20 years ago. The world is constantly changing, people are constantly changing. And that the way that you could potentially approach a player 20 years ago is very different to the way that you could approach a player nowadays. And I think that's part of being not just a, a good coach, but a good human being, kind of learning how to adapt in, in different environments. Um, and I just find it a little bit bizarre, you know, what Steven Gerrard said at the weekend about Bukayo Saka, about him needing to toughen up. You know, Gerrard using the fact he's got screws in his hip and has had 16, 16 operations as some sort of sort of badge of honour. When I read that, I just thought, well, well, Gerard, surely that's the exact reason why these players need more protection because no one should have to go through that. I think, I think Gerard even said he struggles to go to the gym, and he's what forty four. No, no one wants that life. I'm, I'm not, I'm not asking for for physicality to be taken out of the game, not at all. And you know, I'm sure Dan will will have his comments on whether Aston Villa were going over the top on against uh, a Saka on Saturday. But yeah, you just do need to do need to protect players in that environment. And like like I said, the game is changing. You can't just can't just kind of cling on to that old school mentality. That's what it is. Just clinging on to something that's long gone. I thought their comments were weird. If I'm being perfectly <laughs> honest, especially because he's, I find him quite modern. As a manager, yeah, there's generally, lots of like, other examples, and yeah. I saw someone repost a, a headline from his time at Rangers where he was defending his players and and yeah. and asking for protect more protection. I think you know managers have to be chameleons, don't they? They have to say certain things at certain times because they have to support their players and back their players. And I think Gerard's one of those people, and, and Lampard's probably one of those people that they do flip flop quite a lot depending on the situation. And I think. You know, come Christmas time, I'm sure Gerald's going to be talking about protecting players and the relentless fixture list and how, you know, that's harmful on people's bodies. So I feel like it's a time and a place, but it does seem bizarre as well because, Dan, I remember when Gerald came in, we talked about the respect that players would have for him. And, you know, we spoke we spoke to um, to the uh, our journal that covers Rangers about it. And it feels like there's almost like a relatability, but there's also like this 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 kind of gap and respect level and and I wonder if some managers want to keep that gap quite separate or they want to go very relatable and still feel like they're part of the group so I feel like Southgate's really kind of closed that gap a little bit but maybe Gerard's still trying to keep it I, know, I think aura is like a big thing I think the Villa, the Villa players for example they'll have all watched Steven Gerrard play they'll have known what he was about as a player and they'll respect him so I think aura and respect now is, is, is a massive thing with Southgate though I think probably not a lot of the players did watch Southgate play you know he wasn't a spectacular football he was a very very good defender really really good player but he wasn't someone that those players will have watched but what he's done and the way he is as a person he's created almost his own or a little bit like, like Arsene Wenger you know he was not a not a footballer, was he really? Didn't do it. Didn't do anything in terms of, of of playing career, but he just the way he was, he created this aura himself. And I feel that's what Southgate's done, rather than relying on what he did as a player, even though he was a good player. 
I think he's almost just created an aura himself. And every every manager has to have a different approach. And I think mm. we need to remember that Southgate is a is an international manager who only sees those players for a very limited period of time throughout the year. So if you know England players are coming into you know this March international break, you know there's so much going on, you know, for, in terms of at the top of the table, top four, relegation, bringing all those players in. If you're then going to make it a really intense environment for two weeks, you're not necessarily going to get the best out of those players. So Southgate's obviously very smart in the sense where he, you know, he'll will, he will make sure that those players know that there's a lot on the line, although these games are only friendlies, but it's also about making it quite like a, as relaxed an environment as possible. Whereas when you're playing week in, week out, as a manager, there are different demands on you and you're going to be demanding different things from your players. So we have to factor that into it as well a little bit, I think. We haven't had that for eight ten. years, ten years, whatever it is, since Sir Alex went. And there's no sign of it even getting closer to that. It feels like we're going mm. in the opposite direction. Now, <laughs> it's going to take getting the right man. The next man might not be the right man. We don't know. We've we no what, idea, what, but then people behind the scenes well, what, have got to make sure it's the right man. But what it does show you, though, it doesn't matter what players you get together, what collection of players, what, what talent you get together, you need someone to harness that. You need, you need a manager to come in and pull it all together. Mm-hmm. And that's where the people making that's the decisions... what top-class managers do. Yeah, yeah. they but do. You, and they, but you, you know what also, I think, when you look at the clubs... Some of them ma- yeah, I also found it really interesting, uh, the debate on BT Sport last week after, obviously, Manchester United... Uh, exited the Champions League against Atletico Madrid and this kind of concept that um, players need to fear the manager in the dressing room. I think it was Paul Scholes, Owen Hargreaves, Rio Ferdinand talking about what it was like to kind of play under Sir Alex Ferguson and if they'd had a bad performance, how they'd, you know, they'd dart into the dressing room for fear that if they were late, that they'd get the hairdryer treatment. And I remember listening to it at the time and I, I, you know, I appreciate that I've not played at the highest level of football unless you count, you know, seven aside at, at goals in in Isleworth. Did um, you play with Emil Heskey though? That's the real question. I didn't. I don't have done that. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't play with Emil Heskey, unfortunately. But I just found it to be a really archaic way of of, of looking at it. Um, certainly, when I consider all the jobs that I've worked at, I've never wanted to fear a manager. I've wanted to be challenged in the sense that maybe if I'm not doing a particularly good job or there's things that I could do better, of course, I'd want them to kind of point that out to me and bring that up to me. But I don't want to fear a manager because surely fear produces more mistakes. And just this idea that, you know, what Manchester United need is some all-powerful figure who's just going to kind of go in and, and, and lay down the law just kind of baffles me. Of course, there's kind of a little bit of, well, more than a little bit, of kind of tension going on in Man United's dressing room at the moment. But I don't think having someone come into into that dressing room and just start shouting expletives at everyone is the way to kind of fix that issue. Certainly, they've had that as well with Mourinho. A I was going to say, Mourinho was that go. sort of They've, they've tried it. They've tried everything. Figure. They've almost tried everything since, since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. I just think it's an easy excuse to say, oh, the players aren't motivated. They need someone that's going to crack down the law. But there's, there's so much kind of more to it than that. There are so many you know, different strands to what's going on at Man United at the moment. And this idea that some all-powerful coach is going to solve that just by shouting at people and instilling fear completely baffles me. Surely you're going to get better results from from having a coach who kind of is more relatable to those players and can kind of understand that, you know, the different needs f- f- of a Ronaldo, a Maguire to a Rashford than someone that's just mm. going to, yeah, crack the law. I think Skulls, because he's... He only really played. He only played under one, one club manager, didn't he? I know he played for different managers for England, but from a club perspective... All he's ever known is Sir Alex Ferguson, so he's only known that one managerial type in club football. Yeah, and I, yeah. I suppose, I suppose as well, Dan. As well, that's the difference between 
the game 15 years ago and the game now is yeah. you don't get that anymore. You don't get one manager staying at club for, you know, even longer than like five years. Like that's like what, what Klopp's doing at Liverpool is pretty rare in itself. So I think that's also part of it is that players and coaches both have to adapt because they're going to be working with different people, personalities, skill sets all the time. And you can't just take the same approach and be like, bad cop in every single dressing you walk into you have to be able to adapt but but also if, if we think about this for a second how many former players have kind of come out and said that Sir Alex Ferguson was like a father figure to them right loads obviously Cristiano Ronaldo is the most obvious one he can't go into a dressing room and flex his proverbial muscles and rip into everyone and get away with it and have those players respond to that if he doesn't have a very good, you know, normal relationship with them, regardless, because otherwise yeah. they would have, otherwise they would have cracked and broken. So it's almost like almost contradicting themselves there. Yeah, Alex Ferguson was great at absolutely lambasting everyone, but yeah, he wouldn't have been able to do that unless he didn't have those kind of core, very genuine relationships with those players, as we've seen, because you know they all call him, all call him the boss and all that kind of stuff, don't they? I think it's, it's funny as well with with Ferguson because his. You know, since he's stepped away from the game and management, it's almost like this this reputation's kind of got bigger and and harsher about him. But there are plenty of examples when he didn't give people the hair dryer treatment. I mean, Cantona being being one of them. So it's really interesting how that kind of legacy changes over time, doesn't it? With reputation. Um, I mean, before we before we let you go, Jay. How are you feeling about not only these friendlies coming up, but also World Cup at the end of the year? Um, it's definitely an exciting time to be an England fan um, and, and so much talent as well. Lots of lots of players potentially making their debuts in, in, in this window. But I mean, what are you excited about coming up in, in the rest of this year? I'm going to say I feel nervous because I feel excited about England for the first time, if that makes sense. It's a scary feeling. (laughs) I don't want to get lulled into a full sense of security. Um, But I think if you just look at the the competition within that England squad at the moment, and you look at some of the names of the the players that haven't been included in the squad, that kind of um, is a good signal and a good indicator of the the strength of of, of England at the moment. You know, for Kaio Tomori, who's, you know, been uh, dominating defences in Serie A with AC Milan this season. It's not in the team. You know, obviously I'm I'm on the Brentford patch. I've got to represent for Ivan Tony, and he's not in the team. England just seem to be in such a good position right now. Um, obviously, it was devastating that they didn't win the Euro 2020 final. Devastating they went out at the semi-finals in the World Cup. But hopefully that kind of experience is um, they'll be able to kind of learn a lot from that and kind of kick on and use that when inevitably there's going to be some tense moments in in Qatar at the end of the year. And uh, hopefully that will kind of fuel them onto success that they've kind of they've they've experienced that. I fancy England. I've got to be honest. I just think they'll go one better. I really, really do. I think that getting to the semi-final, then to the final, I think the next natural progression is to win something. And I just think when that rolls around, so many players are going to be either at their peak or really starting to make their way in, in, in their career. I think there's a good dressing room there. I think they'll be able to like, take a lot from the experiences of the last few years. I, I really, really fancy England. The only thing is, it's just a complete unknown playing in the winter in Qatar. That's my only concern, but that's the same for everyone, I guess. Yeah, and just, you know, we all know what, what, what knockout tournaments are like. And I guess it, it could re- work in the reverse way in the sense that, you know, if England, you know, get knocked out in the last 16 or don't make it out of the group or, or, or something like that, touch wood, it doesn't happen, you know, all those kind of old negative stereotypes about the England football team might come streaming back and we might proclaim this as a as a missed opportunity. So I think as excited as I am, it does also feel like they're 
as we kind of get closer to the tournament, you know, we're still, what, eight, nine months away, the pressure will build that this this will feel like a moment in time that we really kind of need to capitalise on. Have you got a player that you're looking forward to seeing across the two games? So England play Switzerland on Saturday at 5.30 and then Ivory Coast on Tuesday at 7.45. Is there one player you could pick out as to say, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do? I'm trying to remember who's been named in the team because I'm, I'm really... It's changed um, quite a lot over the last changed, 48 hours. It's changed quite a lot. Um, I think Conor Gallagher, again, um, I remember watching him uh, play for Charlton against Derby three or four years ago and immediately thinking, yeah, this, this boy is a special talent. So really looking forward to seeing how he progresses um, not just during these, this international break, but over the well, over the next few years, um, people like Tyrant Mitchell. That's going to be really exciting as well. I didn't even think he, Tyrant Mitchell was anywhere close to being named in the England squad. To be honest, I was a little bit surprised when Matt Woosnam, our Crystal Palace reporter, kind of came up with that. But um, best of luck to Tyrant. That's going to be really fascinating to see those kind of players breaking through and getting into the side. Have you got one, Flo? Well, yeah, I think that it, I think it's actually interesting to look at who's out of it. Like Jay said, I think the the absence of of, of Sancho and Tamori is is really interesting. Um, I think weak spots, though, I still think that that forward line. I mean, we were talking about Ollie Watkins not being in the best form of his life. I think there's n- like that that without Sancho, I'm looking at that group of forwards, and I'm not massively blown away as maybe I was like a year ago because I think forms dipped a lot in that group but I still think there's so much potential um, and I think that's that's the exciting thing and if you think about who hasn't made it, it it's it's even more exciting even you think of the people in the squad so Ben White I don't think at the moment he'll be going to the World Cup because I think it'll be Cody and Mings as the backup centre-back but I was watching him on Saturday he's just so assured such a good such a good he's defender really grown this season he's come obviously you know I was there Brentford Arsenal first day of the season and Tony, Tony had Ben White in his back pocket and I'm mm. thinking what what have Arsenal done with 50 million here but you know first game of the season and all that but to see the way he's kind of progressed over the over the you know last eight nine months or so as you said has been really impressive Ben White didn't even get his shorts dirty at the weekend against Villa yet <laughs> defended superbly so yeah, yeah he's definitely one for the future but I don't think he'll even make the World Cup squad at the moment which tells you some of the strengths we've got at centre-back So Jay just to wrap it all up we've had success with Gareth Southgate would you back this course to produce an elite level manager an elite level English manager? Yeah definitely I think um, it will only be a matter of time until until kind of one of these these candidates you know potentially takes a job at a, a top six club as I kind of said, some of the other people that have been on the course over the years are, you know, Ashley Cole and Wayne Rooney. Ashley Cole's obviously assistant to Frank Lampard at Everton at the moment. And Wayne Rooney's doing a really good job at Derby, despite the, the utter chaos that club seems to just dwell in 24-7 at the moment. So what he does next will be really interesting. But I think maybe just away from the, the IP2C course, I wouldn't be surprised if the next England coach after Gareth Southgate is another internal hire, because they do mm. seem to really have a lot of very talented um, coaches at all the you know, all the youth levels. You know, Will Antwi is the, the England under 15s coach, and he was he was actually um, giving a lecture on the course. You've got a lot of people like that who are kind of slowly moving up the ranks. I think it's Lee Carsley, England under yeah, 21 coach. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the next hire after Gareth Southgate again is uh, is internal. Whether that's someone from the IPTC course or or someone who's had a different pathway but is still still within the building. You want to get it back to the England job being the pinnacle. In Germany, when Germany are looking for a manager, they can just pluck the manager from Bayern Munich. Well, I mean, Hansi Flick was that, doing a want. crazy job at Bayern Munich yeah. and then just and he was like, no, nah, I've had enough, I want to go to Germany. So because the, because that, the, getting that international job is the yeah. pinnacle for them and you, yeah. want, you want to kind of get England back to, to being that like it was when I was younger where England go and take 
the best English manager at the time. That That's what you want. So fascinating to talk to you, Jay. I really enjoyed the piece when I read it at the time. And I've enjoyed going through it on a podcast today with you as well. So thanks for coming on. Absolute pleasure as always, guys. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Flo, let's talk about what else is up on the athletic on the site at the moment. What have you been reading? Well, obviously, we mentioned Steve O'Gerrard's comments and Nick Miller's done a brilliant piece just out uh, today on uh, this morning about this kind of outdated approach and protecting players. And, you know, if I suffered, you must suffer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, yeah, really interesting. I think kind Nick's kind of echoing, I think, what a lot of people were thinking after Gerald said that. So, yeah, good piece there. That was going to be mine as well. But can we just say, oh. it wasn't a foul. Do you think it was a foul? Um, I'm not even being biased. I just think he's stretched to pass the ball and there was nowhere else for him to go. I, uh, I get the reaction afterwards from what Gerard said, fine. But I don't think it was a foul. I think it probably was a foul, but it's on, not, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. <laughs> no, the fact there was a debate about whether it should be a red card or not, I found absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to I'm going to comment on Jay as well, because he does a lot of good stuff around Brentford and I like reading, about, reading his stuff about Brentford because... They're a, they're, a, they're a nice club, if that, if that makes sense. So I know they're very amenable. So I feel like you find out more in depth about what's going on behind the scenes because I feel like Brentford share more than the normal club. Not to say that Jay's not a good writer anyway, but I feel that comes across in Jay's pieces. So I'm going to give Jay a shout out. And a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. It's just £1 a month for the first six months. So head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod to get started. Yeah, thanks again to Jay Harris for joining us today. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening as well. Do get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you have the time. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Flo and I will be back next week. But before then, Mark Chapman and Matt Slater will bring you the Business of Sports show on this feed. It's available from Thursday morning. Thanks ever so much for listening. The Athletic.